Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey, Jonathan. How's it going? I feel like we should have cake for this week's episode, Amy. Cake? Yes, with balloons and candles and and all kind of stuff. Fireworks. Is this uh, for the stay-at-home order? No, not at all. No. What's the cake for? Well, 175 years ago this weekend, Amy. Oh, yes. You should know this. You're the SBC history person. You should know what happened this weekend 175 years ago. Yes. So 175 years ago this weekend is when the Southern Baptist Convention began in Augusta, Georgia. Yeah. Congratulations. We made it 175 years. I suppose that I was going to talk about something else this week in SBC history, but I guess... I guess I, I guess I should go to. Well, I'm, to, I'm doing it now. That way, you don't have to do it later. Right, I'm and I did know. I did know that here we were at the yes. 175. Yes. But, um, but yeah. So this week in SBC history, folks. Here yeah, we go. A long time ago. So yeah, yeah. So without that happening 175 years ago, Amy, we wouldn't have this podcast. It'd be something else, I guess. Oh, good news for the listeners here. I checked off a bucket list item of Amy's this week, and we've got. Charles Billingsley on the podcast. Yeah. I was pretty excited about this. Yes. So let's explain the bucket list item really quick before we go into this interview. Um, So Charles Billingsley, who is no stranger probably to many of our listeners, um, has and and we get into that with him about his uh, participation with the Southern Baptist Convention throughout the years. Which we had no idea was as deep as it is. Right, right. But I first learned of Charles Billingsley before I was a Southern Baptist when I was a college student and I was a big fan of New Song. And New Song's been around for a long time. A lot of people know about them from Winter Jam, things like that. Um, but there was a and the Christmas season. Song, which was post-Charles, the cri- by the way. That's correct. So there and and they've had a lot of people through the years, a lot of lot of band members. But there was a season where Charles Billingsley was one of the lead singers and um and that was for the People Get Ready album, which is one of my favorite favorite albums. I wore that thing out and that is where the best version of Arise My Love is. And so I went to a concert in uh, Greenville, South Carolina. The arena was just packed out. And my friends and I, we all just just loved loved that event and loved that album. And then I went to several other New Song concerts. After that, to interview Charles Billingsley, it was like, can I go back to college, Amy, and tell college freshman Amy that I was going to get to interview Charles Billingsley? So here is our interview with the incomparable Charles Billingsley. Joining us this week on SBC This Week, we have a special guest. Charles Billingsley is with us today to talk uh, about his experience within the SBC as well as his recent battle with COVID-19 and a new album that he's got coming out. Charles, thanks for joining us, man. Hey, thanks, Jonathan. Thanks, Amy. I I appreciate y'all having me. We are glad to have you here. And you have had quite an impact on the SBC through the years, maybe more than some people even realize. You've hit a lot of our annual meetings. In addition to being a worship leader in the SBC, uh, you've done quite a bit for the messengers through the years. Jonathan, what did we? What all did we find? I, I think we found that 2001 was your first appearance at the SBC annual meeting. Pastor uh, James Merritt 
well, a good friend of the pod was the was the president that year and had you in uh, to do some special music. Yeah, he sure did. And if you want to know a secret, um, actually, it was uh, maybe the first time that it was promoted with my name on the program or something. But the first time I actually sang at the, the Southern Maps Convention was when Jerry Vines was elected president. He did his sermon, The Baptist and His Bible. And he had the First Baptist Jacksonville Choir and Orchestra there, and they had me there to sing a solo with the choir and orchestra. Um, and that was at the, the Superdome in New Orleans, and I think it was uh, somewhere around 1988, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. But- uh, yeah, that's, that's some real SBC trivia right there. Oh, yeah. I mean, you I'm- know, if, if, if for, those, uh, if, for those who are into their SBC history, that's a little nugget for you. There you go. Okay. Well, you're speaking my language now. So yes. <laughs> around late, late eighties was when really the first time and then going all the way, like up into, um, the two thousands and in 2013, you were the official convention worship leader for Dr. Luter, uh, in Houston, which means you were elected by the messengers the year before. Uh, so you, you have your spot in SBC annual meeting history for sure. Man, that's cool. I didn't realize it was an official thing, but hey, I'm honored. I I remember seeing you, I think the first time I ever saw you in person perform, I'd seen videos, but the first time I think I ever saw you perform was the next year in 14 in Baltimore. And I I remember you you did some stuff there. And I remember (laughs) you brought the house down. Fred Luter had a request and he he wanted you to do Midnight Cry. Yep. And you absolutely brought the place down. Do you remember that? <laughs> I do. That was a unique format in that building. It was like the stage, if I recall, was kind of in a configuration that was a little different than normal. Um, I had actually asked my friend Roger McGee to help me uh, coordinate the music for that, you know, because typically you do two years, right? Right. But um, <clears throat> but since it was in Baltimore, I felt like it would be really helpful to have a local guy from Washington, D.C. helping me on that. So I kind of gave a lot of the reins to Roger McGee for that year to do uh, with the agreement that I would be helping him and then coming in to do some singing and stuff. So that was a fun day. I, I, I uh that's the only time I've ever sung in Baltimore, but uh, Dr. Luter has always been so gracious to me and kind. And uh, that was, I remember that day well. Very cool. That was not the first time that I saw you sing publicly, but I'm going to show my age if I say that. So uh, we'll, we'll just say it was back in the college days when you were with a, with a, a, a certain group that I was a fan of. So, uh, so moving on, let's not talk yes. about how old I am. So uh, you've done, a, I mean, you've done a ton of events. You do stuff at churches all the time. You do state convention stuff. I think the first time I mm-hmm. met you in person was at a state convention meeting in Oklahoma a few years ago. Uh, yeah. But uh, you've you've done, I know the pastor's conference at First Baptist, First Baptist Jacksonville. That was, was that kind of the launching point for you into the SBC as kind of the guy? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it sure was. I mean, uh, I did that conference for 25 years straight. Um, wow. All through the, the years of Jerry Vines and Homer Lindsay, and then a few with Mac Brunson. But um, <clears throat> I started singing in that conference when I was a high school kid. We had a little quartet called the Four Gospels. <laughs> and uh, they nice. would use this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> that doesn't sound humble at all, does it? Uh, <laughs> but uh, that's what we call ourselves. And then um, 
you know, and then when I graduated from, from high school, they actually would, would bring me back in during my college years. It was kind of cool because it was the one thing in college I actually got to get on an airplane and go fly and do a, you know, do a conference. I thought I was pretty big stuff, but, um, <clears throat> when I graduated college, uh, I went on the road full time, but all through those first goodness, man, the first 15, 20 years on the road, um, first Jacksonville was so gracious and kind to have me do that conference. And, and it literally was, was, I mean, one of the things that filled my calendar for the year. So it was a very, very important conference for me, but I'm so grateful. And, and, and also, you know, the other things that would fill my calendar were all these state conventions and evangelism conferences that we would do. And in fact, I'm, I'm on the books to do several next year with other states and, and, you know, I, I, I haven't done all of them, but I think I've done a good many. Uh, I can think of, I don't know, probably 20 states off the hand, off my hand that, you know, I've done. And, and, uh, and I'm just grateful and honored that, that all these state leaders have, have used me through the years. Um, I was born and raised a Southern Baptist. My dad worked with the Southern Baptist Convention for his entire career. Uh, I tell everybody I was Southern fried Baptist nine months before I was born <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> you know, and so I'm really Baptist born and bred. And the fact that my home people use me like they do is just a real blessing. Mm, that's, that's really, really cool. Any, uh, particular events stand out over the years? Um, yeah, some of them are crazy. Like for instance, um, I was doing the Louisiana Baptist Convention twice with Louisiana. One year, um, they had we had to cut it short because Katrina came through town and oh, there was wow. no place to stay. And then a couple years later, uh, we had to cut it short because of a snowstorm coming through town. <laughs> uh, and, and, and so that was interesting. I've done the, the Texas thing several times, which was always fun. Um, Arkansas, I think I did the Arkansas Convention or, or Pastors Conference and Evangelism Conference for probably... Uh, eight or nine years straight. Um, the Alabama ones are always fun. Um, but the ones that really stand out to me are the ones that, you know, something funky happened like weather or weirdness or craziness. But, um, and then I did the, I did the Hawaii youth evangelism conference one time. That was suffering for Jesus. Oh yeah. yeah, That'll stand out for sure. Well, but you know what? They've never asked me back. And so I don't know if I blew it or did something stupid, but uh, I kept waiting for that call back and it never came. Um, Come on, Chris Martin, get on the phone. Yeah, thank you. I've done the Alaskan one several times, uh, Arizona. Never done anything for California, but uh, even did the uh, Northwest one one time. So, you know, it's just really cool. And it's it's so fun to get out there and see these pastors and their environment and and just to do my best to try to bless them with a song and an encouraging word. Uh, I really love it. And it's, uh, it's really near and dear to my heart because my dad's ministry was, was for years and years um, out in the pioneer areas where he was the director of evangelism for the Northwest Baptist convention. He was executive director for Utah and Idaho, executive director for Montana. These kind of things are such a blessing to me because I get to go out there and be around these pastors who are on the front lines and, uh, and they all come together and this may be the biggest crowd they've been a part of all year long. And so if I can bless them with a song and light up the room, man, it blesses me probably more than it blesses them. All right. So let's talk about what's had you in the news lately, which <laughs> is not, not necessarily fun, no. but, uh, but has been a story, uh, 
for sure. And that's that you have ha- have gone through and recovered from COVID-19. So yeah. I, I know uh, Baptist Press did a story about this and there have been been some other things. So maybe tell us just uh, in, mm-hmm. in a nutshell, a little bit about that experience and uh, what you have kind of learned through it. Just, just uh, everything. Well, it's been quite the ride, man. Um, I was diagnosed on April 1st, April Fool's Day of all things with um <clears throat> with this covid-19 that came after about 4 days straight of high fever and i thought i had the flu and that tested negative and my doctor tested me for covid turns out that i had this crazy virus honestly i wasn't really concerned i wasn't worried cuz you know you know 98% of the people that get it some people don't even know they have it and then other people it's just pretty minor so i thought well this fever will last a few days and it'll go away well <laughs> about 9 10 11 days in of 103 degree temperatures it just is not going away it's not letting go and i feel rotten i've got aches and pains i've got these horrible headaches you know and just all the mess that comes with this deal you can't taste anything everything tasted like salt to me everything um it was just a weird deal but it was just not letting go and a high fever that long is just relentless you know and and so um, I kept waiting for it just to, at some point, release. But uh, the problem with COVID-19 is if it grabs a hold of you, man, 10, 12 days in, it's just getting started. And that's what happened to me. It, it, it moved into my lungs. Uh, finally, my doctor came over on April 9th and he said, hey, um, uh, I need to just check your oxygen. And so he checked my oxygen levels. He said, just walk across the, the room and come back. So I walked about 10 steps, came back, sat down, and my oxygen levels were down to 84. And they're supposed to be around 98. <clears throat> and he said, okay, let me hear your lungs. And he listened to my lungs and he said, buddy, you've got severe double pneumonia. Uh, this is what comes with this COVID virus. He goes, I need to put you in a hospital. And I said, when? And he said, right now. And I said, are you kidding me? And so two hours later, I find myself in the hospital bed totally isolated. They wouldn't even let my wife walk in the room. You know, they don't, they don't let my wife even walk in the hospital. So I walked in there, made a big mistake by not taking my own blanket, and my own pillow. Cause those blankets and pillows in hospitals, I, I think somehow there's a convention every year and they get together and go, okay, how can we make these the most uncomfortable things <laughs> uh, known to man? And so it was unbelievable. But anyway, I got in this hospital and you know, all the workers and everything, they're all you know, totally dressed up in their garb with their shields on. And, you know, I feel so sorry for those workers because, man, what they go through is unbelievable. But um, I had a good doctor. He actually was a member of our choir at our church. And, you know, and they t- took chest x-rays and gave me blood tests. And my numbers came back so horrifically high. And the x-ray was horrible. He told me, he said, look, you're at pretty high risk. Um, so we're going to keep you here for a few days and just monitor you. So <clears throat> turns out that I never ended up on a ventilator or anything, but those few days in that hospital were pretty lonely days. Mm. And it was the sat. I went in on Thursday before Easter and on good Friday, <laughs> I had a new record releasing 
And that was a real blessing. I couldn't do a single interview. Couldn't talk to anybody. Probably can, <laughs> and certainly couldn't to... sing. Couldn't no, sing no. <laughs> no. And I had this new record coming out. And so, you know what? I, I, I decided, you know what? I'm going to listen to the record because I hadn't listened to it in a while. And, you know, it's so funny. As I listened to that record, I all these songs were I was listening to these songs we'd written six months prior and realizing that these lyrics and so many of the songs in this record were so poignant and perfect for what our culture's going through right now and our in this day and age. And it just started to bless me. And then and then there's some really powerful worship stuff at the end of the record. And I and I got stuck on those songs and I must have listened to those things a dozen times, praying for healing and seeking the Lord and uh you know, at one point I got real frustrated because he wasn't healing me like I thought he should. And, you know, it was just a real test of my faith and a, and a real, um, a real trying, but, um, powerful time and, uh, had some amazing moments of worship in that hospital. Um, and then I basically begged my way out on that Saturday, came home and the next week was probably the worst week I'd had yet. Uh, but eventually, finally, the fear decided to start dissipating. And on April 20th, my wife's birthday, I was declared COVID free. And now for the last two weeks, I've just been sort of recovering from this double pneumonia. And, and eventually that'll be all gone and I'll be uh, at 100 <clears> percent. Wow. So what are the lungs at now? I mean, are, are you able to at all sing at all right now or? Well, I, I just came back from the church. I recorded a couple of the songs because we, you know, it's crazy. And they're all Southern Baptist churches, by the way. But I've had a lot of churches calling me, asking me to do a brief testimony and a special music for them to play during their online services. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, and, and they've been paying me a little bit, you know, and I do mean a little bit, but it's been very, at least a blessing, you know, because I haven't had any income for months. And, and so it's been really a blessing um, that they've, that they've done this. And so I've done it for about six churches now and just came back from recording a couple more. And, um, you know, it's still a little difficult to sing because sometimes I'll just take a deep breath and just start coughing, but yeah. make it, made it through the songs, but you know, that's to be expected and I'll probably deal with it for another week or two. Well, if, if churches are interested in maybe having you do that, is there a certain thing that they can do to get in touch with you about that? Oh yeah. Just, just, uh, uh, you know, the easiest thing would probably just to be to, to um, email email me at charles at charlesbillingsley.com or go on my website, charlesbillingsley.com. And I think there's a way that they can um, um, find it there too. Yeah. Okay. Oh, because um, that, cool. that's certainly something that I know will be a blessing to these churches that are getting it now and could uh, beyond mm-hmm. just because... What, what you just shared with us is such a testimony to to the Lord and then also to what he placed in your heart back when you wrote those songs. And, you know, that's that's a pretty incredible, yeah. incredible thing. And I had to be an amazing experience for you yourself to be ministered to by yeah, that. I really was. I, I was I was sort of taken aback going, man, we wrote this song, Sing for My Soul, which is all about the intercession of the Holy Spirit when we're going through difficult days and don't really know what to pray or how to pray it. I mean, that song fits this moment so well. Other songs like the remake of Sting's Fragile was just such a reminder to me of how, you know, eight weeks ago, we're in great shape, totally great shape. And then all of a sudden we're in this, you know, we've gone 
into the pits, um, you know, and, um, and it's just a reminder of how fragile life is. So that song just fits. Another song we wrote called Where You're Supposed to Be is a, <laughs> a great reminder to all of us that in, in, in the center of God's will, sometimes uh, right in the middle of the storm is, is actually the center of his plan. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of the gist of that song. So everything on that record just seemed to be speaking to me in the middle of that moment. But, um, you know, uh, and I hope it speaks to other people because people right now are just sort of strapped by fear, um, you know, but it, but it's also a great opportunity for us to grow in our faith. And I, I just really believe God sort of forced on us a Sabbath for all of us in, in this day and age. And if we'll take advantage of it and use this downtime to fall more in love with Jesus and just to fall in love with more of our families and everything, man, can you imagine what it'll be like when we come back together in our church buildings? I mean, it will be, I mean, the, the, the roofs will come off with the power of our praise and the, and the passion in our worship. So the album has come out and you're now getting to be part of launching that in a sense. Yeah. 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 Just kind of launching it on the backside, but it's been fun, uh, you know, and it's funny because a lot of the, a lot of the interviews I'm doing now, I would have never done had I not ended up with this COVID-19, but the Lord has used this COVID-19 to kind of help spread the word about this project. And also, more importantly, to just teach me some really deep lessons about faith. And so even, you know, even just two weeks removed, I have to tell you that I'm grateful that I went through it just because every time God pulls you through a test or a trial or a fire, you come out of the other side just a little bit stronger. And ultimately, what God's trying to do is grow us and strengthen us so that we become, you know, rocks in the faith, or like I phrased it in my sermon Sunday, oak trees in the faith. And so, you know, I'm grateful, but I can't say that uh, I was grateful in the middle of it. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Now, the the title of the the album is I Was Made For This. So it's available everywhere. I guess you can download it, iTunes, wherever you get your music. Uh, Oh, yeah. also, uh, what, what do you expect maybe for getting out there doing concerts, doing events? Are, are you looking, you know, maybe the fall is the earliest possibility or maybe some this summer? Like, what is that looking like for you? Yeah, you know, of course, uh, it was crazy because I had our best April and May lined up that we'd ever done. Everything from uh, Carnegie Hall to a concert at the UN for all the ambassadors. I mean, it was like we had some of the most amazing opportunities come our way and then everything went away <laughs> it was just it's just like wow but um you know all these conferences that we do like women of joy which involves hundreds of set sbc churches um those will be cranking back up in the fall um we've still got some dates coming here one in june a big conference that is not canceled thank god a um, couple of things in july but then you know hopefully in august hopefully churches will start calling us and i'll have the opportunity to start going out again we've got several things scheduled for the fall and a big Christmas coming up. Um, but you know, there's openings and, and I'm always, uh, grateful to get a call from churches for us to come because this is what we do. And it's what I, I love to do. I mean, there's, I just, uh, there's nothing I'd rather do than this. So, um, so, you know, it looks pretty good for the rest of the year. Once we get through this, thank God. Well, and I'll give a shout out to listeners about Women of Joy because uh, when my my husband pastored in Southeast Virginia for several years, and 
I went to one of those uh, back then and it was incredible. Uh, and you, uh, you were the worship leader. It was a real blessing. I remember. Oh it's, man, we you, have so much fun. Yeah. And you taught, that was the first time I ever heard the song. It was just, I have a hope. I have a future. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. And um, I, yes. And I loved that song uh, that, that, that I learned from you for the first time. And I came back and got the album, um, that, oh, that was on that. So how cool is that? Yeah. yeah so, uh, so, Walker. yeah. So, so for listeners out there, that's a, a, a definite, uh, a definite thing you should try to catch is the women of joy conference. Yeah. I had no idea um, you were a groupie, Amy, man. I'm, I'm trying I'm to be, you. I'm trying to be low key about it, Jonathan, you know? <laughs> not fall hey. all over myself here. So. Jonathan, look, here's the deal. She may be one of only four people on the planet like this, so it's really blessing <laughs> to grow. You know? When, yeah, when don't I take away this record, moment. Yeah, when Trust I sell me. a record and I meet Amy, I'm like, oh, you're the one that bought it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've thought about I've thought about uh, reaching out to my college roommate and saying, guess who I'm interviewing? So yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, golly. That's amazing. All right, mo- moving on. Moving on from that. Yes. Okay. All right. To wrap <laughs> it up, uh, you know, we, we talked a little bit about what you got going on in the fall. What What's the, you working on anything else, the uh, next project, any any future plans? What What do things look like? I know you're preaching monthly at Thomas Road. You're there in Lynchburg. Yeah. So yeah. You know, what, what's the future look like for Charles Billingsley? Well, you know, this record uh, cost me a fortune. And so I'm hoping to really tour it a bunch and and just uh, we got on September 20th, we've got our big concert at Thomas Road featuring the new project. But honestly, right now, I feel like on the heels of this, I think I want to write a book called I Was Made for This that's really, you know, centered on uh, why we're here on this planet. The plan and purpose for God in our lives is ultimately for us to live a life of worship. And so um, I think I'm going to write a little devotional book as a companion piece for this project called I Was Made for This. All right. Well, I look forward to that. Maybe uh, whenever that comes out, we'd have you back on here. Amy would approve of that, I'm sure. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. She's my (laughs) secret weapon with this deal. Absolutely. So we'll we'll throw some links in the show notes uh, for our listeners for this episode that to the website, to the album, all of all of those things, so folks can know how to uh, how to get to. Thank that. you. That's very kind. I I really do appreciate that. Thank you. Well, Charles, we appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Hope to see you soon at uh, either one of the SBC events or another event down the road. So thank you for being with us, and we'll uh, we'll see you soon. Hey, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Amy. I appreciate you guys. All right. All right. What a fantastic interview that was, Amy. One of the highlights, our last two interviews have been two of my favorites that we've had on SBC this week. Well, it's just, it it was a lot of fun. I mean, sometimes our interviews are more, they, they may be surrounding an event or they may be more technical in, in nature. And so the last two have, have really had a lot of just kind of fun components to them. Well, and and emotional components too, you know. Right, right, absolutely. And so uh, we are very happy to know that uh, Charles is on the path to recovery. And so that's that's a good good thing too. And his battle with COVID-19, very similar to a friend of ours who had it as well. I mean, like the the extended period of just exhaustion, lung problems, the the low oxygen, the, the extended fever. I mean, it's it's weird that, you know, my brother had COVID-19 uh, over in Guam. He's stationed in Guam with the, the Navy. 
He contracted it, had it for like three days and nothing more than a sore throat and a little bit of a fever. And then you and I have had friends, and then Charles comes in here too, who it's just this 20, 25 day ordeal. And, you know, and that's not even talking to the point, you know, of the, the thousands and thousands of deaths that we've had in the country. So it's really strange the the difference in the severity this this disease has on people. Yeah, it's it's really amazing and just so grateful for kind of the the way that both of them, uh, both Charles and our friend, have have come back. But man, it has not been easy. Absolutely, um, and we but we are glad to have him back on. And we, Amy, we've got to get his dad on. Yes, his dad, Clyde Billingsley. Uh, state exec for Utah, Idaho, and Montana, um, evangelism director at a number of states, Florida, Northwest Convention, a lot. Uh, so I, so we need to bring back. We got to have him for an interview with him and his dad. Yes, so. absolutely. So we may even buy his dad, uh, send him a Panera gift card, take care of his bagels <laughs> for a week or something. Thank you for your service. Here's a Panera gift absolutely. card. Absolutely, yes. Mr. Clyde, so... That's Very right. cool. I had no idea. I mean, we were sitting there and he's talking about this and you're Googling his dad and like, he's a like I was huge sending thing. Messages. He, yeah, because he made reference, he made reference to uh, his dad, you know, in state conventions. And I, I thought, oh goodness, how did we not know this? Uh, but his dad did retire at like 2000, something like that. So it's just, it was just something I didn't know. And uh, so I was sending you texts like, oh my goodness, he was did this and this and this and this. But Pretty incredible. Um, yeah, pretty pretty cool. What a legacy. But anyway. So again, yes. thanks, Charles, for coming on. And uh, we really enjoyed that. That was uh, one of the highlights of the week here to have him on. And Amy, we'll move on to our news this week. It's the first of the month. You know what that means? CP. It does mean CP. And we're still above budget for the year, Amy. That's good, right? But- COVID-19 and stay-at-home orders and churches not meeting in person are starting to take their toll. 8% drop year over year, only $14.1 million collected this month in national CP receipts, bringing our annual total for the fiscal year to $115,304,511.36. Don't forget the 36 cents. Uh, that's still yes. just above the $114.6 million for the year. Uh, we'll see what happens in May, but we are starting to see that giving downturn. As uh, I, I think I, expected is not maybe the right word, but it was kind of, we, we kind of anticipated that to, to take place. But we're still in a good spot after seven months, still right. above budget. And only eight percent right. down year over year in that on, one month. Can I just pick on something you just said? Yes. What did I say? You said expected was not the word to describe, but we kind of anticipated it. <laughs> and I would like to know what is the difference between expected and anticipated. Emotional connection. You anticipate things that okay. are emotionally connected. Expectations I, are kind of more something know, like that. I think we all knew <laughs> that. That, that I think we've been looking for this. We've yes. expected a downturn. And I think the positive thing is it 8%. is not as, yeah, it, it's not as, as much as I had been concerned about. So yes. we'll see what, we'll see what next month looks like. Hey, in some states, it wasn't much at all. If you look by the state by state breakdown, I mean, South right. Carolina was, is a big CP state. South Carolina, pretty much even year over year. I mean, it's right yeah. there. 
Uh, other states, yep. not so much. Uh, so, you know, it just depends on the state that you're in and depends on the economy in the state. There's a lot of different things. When the stay-at-home orders went into effect, when they didn't, you right. know, how many rural churches versus big cities you have, those kind of things. So right. there's a lot of factors and I, here. Yeah, we're just lots watching of factors. The numbers. Yep. But we'll see in a month where we are. Absolutely. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that. Some other news this week, uh, some news just breaking on Thursday night. There has been an arrest in the Ahmad Arbery shooting. The 25-year-old who was shot in Brunswick, Georgia. Video of that surfaced this week. An arrest has been made. It was made late Thursday night. Gregory McMichael and his son Travis McMichael were charged with murder and aggravated assault. Uh, this came 10 weeks after Arbery's death. We have a story at Baptist Press about this. Uh, none of those involved in it were Southern Baptists, but at the same time, this is something that Southern Baptists have spoken out on uh, over the past few years, and we have some reaction from Southern Baptist leaders, including Marshall Osbury, President J.D. Greer, uh, Executive Committee CEO and President Ronnie Floyd, and others. So uh, there's a story right. about that. Yeah, and the story also goes into... Um kind of understanding that even though there were not any Southern Baptists directly involved in this, it is affecting an entire town. Mm -hmm. And so the story also talks a, a fair amount with the pastor of First Baptist Church in Brunswick that and who who really was able to speak to how it's affecting the community and the the role the church is playing. So you it kind of got some reaction from national leaders but also on the ground too and I think I think that's important. So yeah. we'll have that story in the show notes. Yeah, it was very thank uh, very thankful to be able to talk to Chris Winford the other night uh, right before we ran this and get some thoughts from him on this. So uh, be praying for them in Brunswick, all those involved in this. Up to Ohio, Amy Cedarville University has placed President Thomas White on administrative leave. They did that last Friday amid controversy over his hiring and firing of a faculty member accused of sexual abuse. The trustees also announced independent investigations into both the hiring of the former theology professor, Anthony Moore, and Moore's conduct while employed at the school. Uh, White's actions came under scrutiny last month when it was revealed that Moore, while pastor at the Fort Worth campus of the Village Church, had been accused in January of 2017 of secretly recording videos of another staff member as he showered. Although the Village Church fired Moore and pronounced him unfit for ministry, he was hired at Cedarville in August of 2017 in what White described as a five-year restoration plan. White fired Moore April 23rd of this year, saying he had learned that Moore's alleged transgressions were more extensive than he'd known. The story's in the show notes for more information. Amy, so you got to explain the connection between Cedarville and the SBC. Okay, so this is one that I think sometimes can get confusing for folks because I know of a lot of people who graduated from Cedarville, go to Cedarville, things like that. But is it one of our sort of state Baptist colleges? And it not really, but kind, but kind of. Like there's a sort of a connection. So two major issues about this story that connect this to Southern Baptist. One, um, and I think probably what is... Uh, perhaps the most crucial is that the incident that this surrounds goes back to it, it had happened in a Southern Baptist church, Southern Baptist context. Um, Anthony Moore was a Southern Baptist pastor when it happened at the village church. And um, it indicates that the victim of this, of this incident also on staff as a, a youth pastor in a Southern Baptist church. So the fact that the incident itself took place in that context, that makes it incredibly important. 
also in relationship to Cedarville. It was established in a Presbyterian context. Presbyterians started Cedarville, but they transferred that administrative responsibility in 1953 to a group of Baptists who wanted to expand the Baptist Bible Institute of Cleveland. So it was connected at that point to not the SBC, but to the General Association of Regular Baptist Churches. So that's when 1953, it sort of comes into a Baptist context. That's very, very rare that it started out Presbyterian, becomes uh, Baptist, essentially. Well, in 2003, the State Convention of Baptists in Ohio developed a sort of a relationship with Cedarville, but it didn't necessarily become one of their schools. They just partnered with Cedarville to recommend the school to their students in the state of Ohio, and that began a connection, a sort of relationship with Southern Baptists, although not necessarily a financial connection. After that happened, a few years later, the General Association of Regular Baptist Churches decided that they would rather, since this had been started with the Ohio Baptists, that they would rather step back their relationship. So now, as it stands today, Cedarville is an independent Baptist university, not independent Baptist, but is an independent university with Baptist Uh, connections and roots that is loosely connected to the State Baptist Convention of Ohio, which also means it then has a lot of Southern Baptists who are involved. Thomas White came out of Southwestern. He was a vice president there. That was his role before he became president of Cedarville. Um, And then they have a board of trustees that are self-perpetuating. They're autonomous self-perpetuating board, but has several Southern Baptists on it, uh, including a number of pastors, Corey Abney from Bell Shoals Baptist Church, Mark, I'm not going to say it right, Brogop, from College Park sure. Church in Indianapolis, uh, a, a number a number of Southern Baptist pastors, as well as Danny Aiken, who is president of Southeastern Seminary, and Jason Deucing, the provost at Midwestern Seminary, are they serve on that board, which is self perpetuating, chooses its own trustees, and they have some some terms. So there is re- there is representation there, but they are a standalone university who has a connection with the SBC. So that's why this story is important to us. And uh, as we have an update, obviously the trustees are doing independent investigations. Thomas White is on administrative leave. When all of that sort of comes back, uh, we will give a follow-up then. Yeah. So we wait for news from those investigations and what's next from Cedarville. Some good news from Lifeway this week. They've created a church assistance package, which is helping churches uh, really use their resources at discounted or free access during this time with COVID-19, as churches are kind of struggling financially. We talked about that a little bit with the, the cooperative program story a few minutes ago and how that kind of trickles down through the denomination. But churches, uh, through this church assistant package, can get a $100 credit applied to their billing accounts, a $100 credit toward resources from Lifeway Worship, free access to generosity by Lifeway, the digital giving platform, free access to selected Bible study teaching videos for small groups, a 50% promotional code on future Broadman church supplies, so whatever church supplies those may be, a lot of those that they give through Broadman church supplies, and then some free digital access to some summer ongoing curriculum, free ebook access, and some special bulk pricing for select B&H titles. So a lot of resources that churches use, being able to get those at free or reduced cost from Lifeway through the church assistance package. You can find out more over at lifeway.com slash church assistance. That's going to do it for our news this week, Amy, and bring us to our, I guess, our second most favorite part of the week again, 
because Charles was probably the first. So this week in SBC history, Amy, blow our minds. All right. So I want to talk about a resolution that I saw being discussed this week. And the reason that this is something we can talk about in this segment is people may not realize, but in years past, a long time ago, the SBC annual meeting actually used to be held in the first or second week of May as opposed to June. So we can have a lot of fun on this week in SBC history whenever this time comes around because I can find things that were done at annual meetings. It's not being held in May this year, Amy. Uh, that's correct. Or it's June. It's not being held in June either. So I saw, uh, actually, uh, someone sent this to us, but then I also saw on Twitter, Tim McKnight at Anderson University was posting about a 1903 resolution on the convention name. And it was a resolution to, um, it said that in naming this body, the phrase Southern Baptist Convention, it was used at the date above 1845. We already talked about that. Um, named to suit conditions then existing, but which have long since passed away. And so the resolution was that this, that the name of this body be changed from Southern Baptist Convention to that of the Baptist Convention of the United States. And so uh, for those of us who have really been in this for the last, at least the last decade, and we're around for uh, that name change study under SBC President Bryant Wright, it's always kind of fun to look back that there were actually a number of years that conversations about changing the name came up. But this one in particular, I think, is is very interesting because... This resolution came in 1903, but it actually did not pass. And so one of the questions was, well, if this resolution came, why didn't they change the name? Well, they didn't because it didn't pass. So I went digging and I went looking in annuals for 1903, 1904, and 1905. And um, George Hillier of Georgia, of the Georgia Convention, brought this resolution. So he really wanted to change the name. They, it seems like from best I can tell, it kind of got tied up in some procedural stuff, which you know how I love that. He comes back and says, can we table this and name a committee? That's so good Baptists then, do. That, that's, that's what we right. do. That's right. So then the next year they come and they actually, I don't think they actually named the committee until 1904. So they tabled it for the next year to then name a committee. So they name a committee. The committee met over the year from 1904, 1905, something like that. They come back in 1905 and basically said, well, some of us wanted to change the name, but we figured out that not enough Southern Baptists really want to do this. And so it wouldn't be a fruitful discussion. So let's just drop it. Oh, so. I saw that, and I also saw Tim McKnight followed up his his tweet. He did some digging, too, and said he found that it, it didn't actually go anywhere. Uh, but it caught my attention, and I thought, this is actually kind of interesting to to talk about this, that while we can find some things where it was discussed, I think in most cases, whenever the name change thing comes up, it quickly gets realized that... The consensus is just not there, or it would be too too difficult legally, things like that. Um, but for those of us who kind of felt in 2012 like we were doing something really new and cutting edge, not really. So the conversation was happening indeed this week in SBC history in 1903 when Southern Baptists were meeting in Savannah, Georgia. 
You misspoke there, Amy. You should have you should have said this week in Great Commission Baptist history. I should have used the nickname. Yes. Yes. The moniker or the Baptist Convention yes. of the United States. So, so basically, yes. what you're telling us is that every time this comes up, the Southern Baptist Convention, the the, the masses go all Gandalf from Lord of the Rings. You shall not pass. Something like that. And what's interesting is when their committee met and said nobody really wants to do this. I would love to find minutes or something somewhere, letters where we find out, well, how'd you come to this conclusion? Because my guess is a bunch of people got upset. So <laughs> anyway, that's, yes. but that's all we know is that whatever they learned, they found out people don't want to do this. Exactly. So, and which we found out, I think a few years ago too. All right. That yes. moves us to our resources of the week. My resource of the week is an interview I did with David Spica on Monday from Guidestone Financial Resources. David joined me for a monthly market update on the Baptist Press Facebook page. Talked about oil prices and why they dropped and how long it's going to take for them to get back up to their crazy high, ridiculous prices that we saw before COVID-19. He said it was going to be a while, which is good. Also talked about unemployment and how fast uh, those numbers may drop after we start, quote unquote, reopening the economy and people get back to work. So a very good discussion, about 22, 23 minutes. I highly recommend that if you're interested in the financial side of things, the economy and everything that's going on right now with uh, the COVID-19 global pandemic and how that's affecting not just the United States economy, but the global economy. Amy, your resource of the week is? Uh, Mine is a history book. Haven't done one of those in a while. And this is one that probably some people know about. Maybe some have even read, but I hadn't. So I just ordered it, have just started it. It was written in 2005, published in 2005. But uh, a lot of people, I think, are interested in it now. It's called The Great Influenza, The Story of the Deadliest Pandemic in History. Uh, it's by historian John Barry, and it is about the Spanish flu. Do we need to put flu. an asterisk on that now? Well, yeah, I mean, historians may start having a conversation about that after this year, but um, really 100 years ago, or around 100 years ago, 1918, 1919, and so I've only just started it, but I'm looking forward to reading it because I think all of a sudden that moment in history is of great interest to a lot of people, and so I'm curious to see more in detail than what I've just read in articles here and there. Uh, so I wanted to throw that up there. All right. Well, that's good. Uh, I have to check that out. So uh, just a note for those listening to this in the future, 21, 18, and 19, or whatever it's going to be in 100 years, watch out for that pandemic. So it's coming for you. It's a so, century. It's an every yeah, century yeah. thing. <laughs> Apparently. All right. Well, that's going to do it for our show this week. Again, thank you, Charles Billingsley, for coming on. We need to get his dad on. Uh, as well in the future and uh, just a a great great time with him so again uh, glad to have him on here and make college Amy happy so thanks folks we'll see you next week see you next week